Well, I am excited. So like Halloween's over and, and that's all fun. But now it's like the holiday season. It's the greatest time of the year, right? We're, we're in November, um, December. And, and believe it or not, there, there's something grand that takes place between Halloween and Christmas. Now, I get that there's those of you in here that are already eyeing your Christmas decorations and, and you're going to put up the lights. You're bad people. And so tonight's message is geared towards freeing you from the sickness that is skipping things. Thanksgiving, right? It's, it's an important holiday. And, and it's just over the years, man, we've lost sight of it. And so I want, I want to help to, to fix you, to redeem you, um, to help you to repent from your sins and leave the Christmas tree in the attic until after Thanksgiving. All right? That, no. Um, I, I'm being serious, though. No. <laughs> but, but Thanksgiving is this holiday, man. It's about so much more than turkey. It, it is. It's about so much more than just a family meal. Um, and, and we're going to talk about it the next few weeks. Um, just some things that I believe that the Lord's laid on my heart and, and some things that to help, hopefully help you to navigate this. And one of the, the places that I want to start is with this reality, this truth. The holidays, for some of you, really suck. Uh, and I get that. Uh, they're really hard for, for a lot of us for lots of different reasons. And, and some people get real excited and, and some of us get real excited and real down and, and there's a roller coaster of emotions and, and it's not a Hallmark movie, right? I mean, you guys are dealing with family situations that are difficult. You're dealing with uh, broken relationships, difficult past, a lack of finances. And right now, Halloween's ended and the burden of the next two months has been lifted and hoisted upon your shoulders and depression is setting in. And I know, I know that feeling. I've been there. I've gone through it. And so the next few weeks, what I want to help to do is help to prepare you for the next two months. Uh, to, to navigate this season and, and to deal with the things that are going on in your life. I, I, remember, um, I remember lots of difficult situations and parts of my story that revolved around the holidays. But I remember kind of in the... the the height of my brokenness, um, showing up to my grandmother's for Thanksgiving and realizing I wasn't really welcome there anymore. As, as I watched my grandmother lock her purse away and my aunts and my mother and all of a sudden bedroom doors are being locked and, and I realized that, that I have created this situation where nobody wants me here and I don't want to be here and, and that was difficult. I, I went through seasons where I lacked financially and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't get my children things, right? I, I couldn't afford Christmas decorations or a Christmas tree. And there was just, there was this feeling in, inside that, that was disappointment and grief and, and hatred for, for the situation that I felt like I'd caused. And I was burdened by that. And then I've, I've been on the other side of it where things have been restored and I've combated it. And it's not that everything's perfect or great, but, but I know this, that if, if you're not in a season where it's hard, you've probably been there. And, it, and you might be going there again, or you might be there right now. And so there's things that we can do again just to navigate this. And so this is part of at least a three-week series where we want to talk about entering his gates. And tonight, I want to talk about this defeating a troubled heart. Because, again, the holidays are hard. Life is hard. It's been a difficult year. And there's lots of things that each of us face, and I want you to have success moving forward. Our key passage for this is Psalms 100. Um, the entire psalm, it's actually very short, five passages, five verses in all. It was written by Moses, and it's the psalm of thanksgiving. And Psalm 100 says this, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy, acknowledging the Lord is good. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And then he goes on to say, enter his gates with thanksgiving. That, that's, an, that's an attitude. It's a mindset. It's a recognition not of our circumstances, but of God's goodness, of who he is. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And, and notice there in that passage, it doesn't say when, when things are good, when things are right, when they're going your way. Enter his gates with praise when he's given you all the desires of your heart. That through every season of life, we need to have this attitude of praise, this attitude of thanksgiving when we go before the Lord because it's not about what's going on in our lives, but about who he is and what he's done. And he continues here and he says, for the Lord is good. That, that, that we do these things, that we approach him in such a manner and in such a recognition because in spite of what we may have done, in spite of what we're going through, the Lord is still good. Every day, all the time. In spite of, of how harsh life can be and our circumstances can be, that doesn't impact who God is. Enter his gates with praise. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. That, that's no matter how broken we've got. You know, when my family locked their valuables away from me, the Lord still loved me. His unfailing love. And the Lord was still good. When I couldn't pay my bills and have an adequate Christmas for my children, God's love was still unfailing. The Lord was still good. Even in those broken places, the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. And again, I get that you may be in a place where the thought of that is repulsive. How could I? How can I? You don't know, Pastor Aaron, what I've gone through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the season of life that I'm in. You don't know the burdens that I face day in and day out. You're right. I don't. And the truth of the matter is I may never know. I may never walk in your shoes or go through what you've gone through. But, but God's not indifferent to our pain. God's not indifferent to our situation, to the season of life that we're in, to the things that we're going through. And, and no matter what it is, the bad things didn't come from him. And no matter what it is, God's love is still unfailing. And it does continue to generation to generation. And, and in spite of our broken places, we have to learn to grow in thanksgiving, to defeat a troubled heart and, and to live in it every day. And so... I believe, again, one of the biggest things we face in our holiday season, one of the biggest things that, that we face day in and day out is this, this lie that, that's exasperated in these two months that, that somehow we're not good enough, that, that somehow we won't be enough, somehow we've messed up too much. And, and I, I believe that it, it burdens us in, in so many different ways. It, it could be because of finances. It, it could be because of broken relationships, maybe, maybe children that, that you won't get to see this year or whatever it is. And, and it's just this feeling that, that I can't, I won't. And, and we have to learn to fight that. We have to start there. And so tonight, if that's you, 
you're down on yourself, I want you to realize this. Point number one, Jesus, he didn't come for good people. Jesus didn't come for good people. And I know in those seasons of my life where, where I'm having a hard time, like there's this bar that I've given myself that somehow I think I'm not living up to it. And, and because of that, maybe God's indifferent to my situation or, or somehow that, that maybe God doesn't love me. And that begins to kind of snowball my mindset. It causes me to struggle or slip. Um, and, and oftentimes, man, it contributed to my, my downfall and, and my addictions. And it, it messed with my recovery. And, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And, and again, the truth I want you to know is this Jesus didn't come for good people anyways and so even if you're messing up man you're in good company I mean even if you're not where you want to be you're in good company that God still loves you he's not indifferent and tonight I want to share with you I want to start off in Mark Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite stories in the Bible Um, and so Mark was written by a guy named John Mark he was not one of Jesus's original 12 disciples but he wrote his gospel um, through Peter Peter walked with Jesus so this is Peter's firsthand account and and Mark wrote it down and he authored it and so that's why we call it the gospel of Mark And, and in this particular story it's it's a historical account of when Matthew was called you may be familiar with that because it's the very first book of our Bible Matthew right This is when Matthew was called. He was known as Levi. And it gives us this incredible picture of God's goodness. It gives us an incredible picture of of the lengths that he goes to to reach us and how much he loves us in spite of our failures. And and I believe that that if you begin to put this truth in your heart, that it'll help you fight back against a troubled heart. It'll help you fight back against depression and and things that you may be struggling with this season. And so in Mark chapter 2, verse 13, it starts off, it says, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And so here, here Jesus, he, he's coming through town. He's been teaching, and he's with his, his followers who, who are Jews, and he sees Levi, tax collector. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've, you've probably heard somebody define tax collector to you. Tax collectors were... They, they, they were like the bottom rung of the ladder in society, right? Like if you really wanted to his, disappoint mom and dad, you became a tax collector because they didn't adhere to Jewish tradition. Um, actually, they betrayed their, their brothers and sisters because at the time, Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans and, and they needed money for their occupation. And so tax collectors worked for the Romans to fund the occupation of, of their cities, of their people. And so tax collectors, they were traitors. Not only that, they were thieves. The way they made their wealth and their money but by, was by robbing th- their brothers and sisters and, and, and friends and family and people in the community. They would steal for them. So they were traitors and they were thieves and they were despised and they were at the bottom rung and, and people didn't want to associate with them. People didn't invite them over for the holidays, right? They, they didn't get to be a part of Thanksgiving, much less um, be part of, of life in general. They became isolated. That There would have been a, a situation created where the only people they could hang out with were other people who were, who were sinners, who were unwanted, who, who, who were distant from society, right? And, and so that's who Levi was or that's who Matthew was in this story right here. And as Jesus sees him, Jesus looks past that. Jesus didn't look at what Matthew was doing. If he did, 
he wouldn't have been worthy. He couldn't have been called. And, and I'm, I'm certain, I'm certain that everyone in Jesus' group had every reason to look at Jesus and say, what the heck are you doing? Like, follow you? Be, do, do you know who he is? Do you know who, who, what he does? Jesus. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you can't be serious. Like, I, I get that, that you love us. I mean, we may not be the best, but we're no tax collector. But, but Jesus looked past all of that, and he, he saw Matthew, and he said, come follow me. Be my disciple. And Matthew at that point, again, known as Levi, he, he gets up and he begins to follow him. And then it continues in verse 15. It says, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, along with the rest of the scum. I mean, talk about an invitation that Jesus should turn down. And that's what we think, right? We go through life and we're in our broken places and, and, and society tells us, maybe our family tells us, our past tells us the things that we've done tell us that, that we're, we're disreputable sinners, that there's, there's no, nothing that, that we could do that would cause God, Jesus to love us and to forgive us and to move on our lives in this situation. And, and again, we continue just to push ourselves back and, and we allow ourselves to be defeated. But Jesus didn't come for good people. That out of all the people in the community, Jesus didn't go to first class, right? The, the people who had it all together, who was doing right. He, he didn't go to them and say, hey, come follow me. No, he went to this, this tax collector, this disreputable sinner. And, and when he received the invitation to the place that, that no other religious leader is going to show up and go to, Jesus does. Jesus went there. And, and this last part, it says this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Of what kind? Sinners, tax collectors. Yet we convince ourselves that what we've done is too much and, and we're separated from God. And, and I want you to know that as you're combating against that depression, those thoughts, the trouble in your life, Jesus didn't come for good people. He came for, for me. And thank goodness, right? I mean, when, when my family didn't want anything to do with me, Jesus did. And maybe you're in that season right now as you're coming into the holidays and you feel like you're all alone, that nobody wants you, that, that you've messed up, you've gone too far. And Jesus didn't come for the good people. He came for me, he came for you to, to lift us up, to, to, to encourage us, to, to help us to find freedom so our stories could be changed, so, so we could push back, fight back and regain maybe what the enemy took or maybe what we gave up in the first place. And Jesus had many people of this kind among his followers. And he continues, this is, but when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When I started to change, this was the thought that I had in my mind, that every time I tried to do something right, in my mind, I felt judged by other people. Maybe it was true, maybe it wasn't, but that's what I felt like, like people were standing outside. <laughs> you scum. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. You, you, can't, you can't go to church. You, you can't change. You, you can't have freedom. That, what, what are you doing? And that's what was happening here with Levi when he was being called. And just think if he had listened to this voice. Just think if he had listened to what everybody else was saying in that moment. 
he, his story wouldn't have been changed. Maybe we wouldn't even have the very first book of our New Testament, right? The book of Matthew was written by the man who's described as a tax collector hanging out with, with scum and disreputable sinners. This is, but when the teachers of religious law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And so when we come to that place and we're facing that troubled heart and we think that, that we've messed up, don't, don't allow that to be sorrow that drives you away from Jesus, but allow it to be a recognition of I'm exactly who Jesus came for. That, that if you've allowed yourself to come to that dark place, again, don't allow the enemy to, to build a stronghold in your mind and a stronghold in your situation that drives you away from everybody that loves and cares about you. Allow it to be a recognition of, yeah, I'm exactly who Jesus came for because Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus didn't come for those who didn't need a savior. He came for those of us that recognized that we did. Those of us that were willing to humble ourselves and say, I need you, Jesus. I can't be perfect. I can't get it all together. I can't do the things that I need to do without you. And that's exactly who Jesus came for. And in those moments where our hearts troubled, where we're struggling through the holiday, where you're facing decisions that you haven't faced in a while, just recognize that you're exactly who Jesus came for and allow him to move in your life. Experience his presence in that moment and don't draw back from it. Again, point number one, Jesus didn't come for good people. Point number two is this. We need to recognize that our weakness brings about his power. Our weakness brings about his power. So when I, when I hear this... <laughs> You know, my, my life, in my life, I had a lot of things going for me. And, and on the outside, it looked good. When I was younger, it looked good, right? Um, I was athletic. I, I was smart. Um, I, was, I was arrogant. I, I, was, I was all of these things. I still struggle with that one. Um, there, there was all these things in my life that caused me to be puffed up with pride. And, and when I was puffed up with pride... It kept me 30 feet from Jesus, right, at all times. That, that even though I grew up in a family that recognized God, we may not have went to church, but, like, it wasn't this thing. I wasn't, like, agnostic. I, I wasn't atheist. Like, there was this belief there, but there was also this belief that I didn't need him, right, that, that I wasn't going to, that's, that's just stupid, right? I, I can do this. I can do this on my own. And, and sometimes we, we feel weak right? And, and we're troubled, but then we have this arrogance and this pride that gets in the way, and we don't allow Jesus to move on our weakness, and we're like, I can do this. I've, I've got this, and, and I'll find success, and, and we, we try to do it on our own, and, and I want you to know that, that his power, God's power, it doesn't work very well in pride. It doesn't work very well in arrogance. I can tell you from personal experience that drove me to almost two decades of addiction. 
And, and I, I've watched it wreck other people's lives in, in significant ways. I've watched it tear down marriages and, and relationships and, and do all of these unhealthy things. And, and, it, and it's all because people failed to come to this place where they, they humbled themselves and allowed God to move in their weakness. And instead, they, they hardened their heart and they distanced themselves from him. But our weakness, like if we reveal it, if we walk in it, it brings about his power. The greatest thing I ever did was surrender to him and recognize I'm nothing. I, I can't do anything without you, Lord. And, and all of my shortcomings, every single one that I can expose to him and that, I, that I'm willing to give to him, he'll move in that and he'll work in that and he'll use that. And, and instead we allow ourselves to come to these places and, and we try to hide our weakness. We try to cover it up and, and we try to puff ourselves up and, and pretend like it's not there. And, and the exact thing we need to do is let everybody see it. Let him see it. Allow him to move in it and use it. I want to share with you out of 2 Corinthians. And so 2 Corinthians is part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. And so Paul, he was... Uh, on the road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, um, he had an encounter with Jesus where his life was changed. Before that, Paul, um, he, was, he was not a good guy. He was a Pharisee, like one of the Pharisees that, that would have been judging Jesus and saying, why are you eating with such scum? That's how Paul would have been. And, and back then, he was known as Saul. And, and he would have been on the outside of Jesus's clique and group and love. And he, he would have been at odds with him. And in fact, he was to the point that he hunted down people who proclaimed to be Jesus followers um, with the intent to have them executed. And he even participated in, in the murder of, of a guy named Stephen that we have documented, potentially more. And so here's a guy who at one sense has this huge pedigree that he could he could boast about, that he could tell people about from Jewish standards. And then from Christian standards, he had all these flaws that he could hold up. And, and so out of the two, Paul chose to hold up his flaws and say, look at this. Look, look how God's moved here in my life. And so in the letter to the Corinthians, he begins to do that because they're accusing him of being weak. And, and Paul tells him, yeah, I mean, there's these things I could boast about, but why do I need to tell you about those? Like other people tell you how great they are, but the thing I want to tell you about, the thing I want to boast in is how weak I am, how, how messed up I am and how much God's moved in my life. Because when we do that, you know what it does? It, it takes the attention off of us and, and points it back to him, right? That, that when I tried to cover up my shortcomings, they were very apparent to everyone around me. I was so deceived. Like, I thought people didn't know how screwed up I was. And it's just funny. And then when I put them out there, people stu still knew about them. But then God got glory. It's like, man, look what God did in that jacked up individual over there. Like, wait, what, wasn't he like a junkie? And now, now look at his life. I mean, how amazing is that? And that's what Paul did. And I, I love this in Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12, 6, um, it says this. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. And again, Paul had this incredible pedigree. By his cultural standards, Paul was like an elite. He was a Pharisee. He was from a good tribe, from a good family. I mean, he was, he was the man, right? And he could boast about that. But he says, but um, I won't do it 
because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Um, <laughs> so Paul begins to say, there's something in my life that, that reminds me, that reminds me that I need God, that, that reminds me that I can't do it on my own, this weakness. Now, I'm going to throw this out here. A lot of people speculate on what it is. We have no idea. We have no idea. God's word does not reveal what this is in Paul's life. But um, he begins to say, I have this. Like, there's a place in my life that doesn't line up. You guys can see all this on the outside, but I, but I want you to know that there's something going on with me that reminds me that I need God. He continues. He says, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now... I am glad to boast about my weakness. What? Now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Have you all ever felt like you needed to be perfect for God to use you? That you needed to have everything together for God to use you? That you compared yourself to people around you and, and you thought that you were maybe given the short stick in life? I know that I have. And in the holidays, sometimes that's, that's made bigger in my life. I look at what people get to do with their families and their kids, and I don't get to. And some of that's because of decisions I've made and things that, that have happened or I've gone through or, you know, <laughs> whatever it may be. And, and I begin to compare myself, and it begins to trouble me and crush me. And, and I begin to look at all these things, and we need to recognize this right here. The power of Christ can work through me because he's throwing his weakness out there. He boasts in it and allows God to move in it. And he continues. He says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and the hardships, the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong that it, it may be our desire <laughs> to, to not need anyone, but, but that mindset convinces us that we don't need God. And, and when we've convinced ourselves that we don't need God, we allow the enemy to move in significant ways, especially during the season. I mean, as the holidays are hard and your heart's troubled, I mean, if you're struggling, reach out. Reach out in prayer. Reach out to somebody here. Allow us to journey with you. Don't allow yourself to be isolated. Don't cover up your weakness and your failure and convince yourself you don't need anyone. Do what, do what Paul did here and, and boast about it and allow him, God to use it for his glory, to change your story, maybe to change somebody else's. That's what Paul did. He had all these things in his life and he laid it out there. God moved through it in significant ways. And when you look at Paul... <laughs> He wrote so much of our New Testament. He, he, he helped save so many people and plant so many churches. Had his mindset been different? Had he failed to stop operating in pride? Had he failed to allow God to move in his weakness? His story would have been different. The story of the church would have been different. And so I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer 
for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When we surrender our weakness to him, our weakness brings about his power. Our weakness brings about his power. Lastly, I love this. We need to learn to love a good fight. We need to learn to love a good fight. Uh, there, there's no aspect of life that, that says everything's going to be perfect all the time. Uh, and, and that's kind of like that pipe dream that we all chase, right? We, we want everything to be great, no trouble, no, no, nothing coming against us, no adversity. And, and that's kind of like the pursuit. The truth of the matter is that, that we need to, to learn to love a good fight. This may surprise some of you. Um, I was very aggressive. Who am I kidding? I'm still very aggressive. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like conflict. Um, I'm, I'm a very dominant personality type. Um, it's probably the attribute that my wife dislikes about me the most. Um, because even in our conversations, like, I like to kind of like get in an argument. Like, I don't even want a marriage that we don't kind of, you know, stuff around a little bit. And, you know, because it, it's good. It's how, it's how I get things on my chest, how I work through stuff. Um, <laughs> but but we, we all need to learn to like, like a little bit about that. And here's what I know. Um, I'm, I'm abnormal. Most people do not like conflict. Actually, most people shy away from adversity. They, they withdraw. They don't want anything to do with it, right? Um, it's not fun for most people, I found out, which is just odd to me. I don't know what's wrong with all of you. Um, it's, it's just... Um, you guys don't get anything out of it. I mean, all of these things, they make no sense to me. How do you win? I just don't even understand that. Like, how do you win without a good fight? And so what we all need to learn to do is to love a good fight. And because here's, here's the truth of the matter is you're going to be faced with something hard. That may be right now. And, and in that, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to. And you can't, you can't shy away from that conflict because that's what happens, right? Something happens in our life, and then we want to withdraw. Oh, I can't do this. I, I, I can't. I'm just, and, and then we isolate, and, and the enemy begins to win there. Not because we, we can't win, because we've chose not to participate. We, we have to. We, we have to come to that place where we, where we lean in in those moments, where we push back. We can't surrender. The moment you surrendered, you lost. The moment you realized that the battle's already been won, then you win, right? It's already been handled. It's already been taken care of. And we just need to learn to love a good fight, to push back. Stop surrendering. Stop shying away from conflict in your life. Stop shying away from the difficult things, the things that trouble you. I ran from my problems for, for decades. And for decades, it had me trapped in addiction. Maybe it's got you trapped in depression. Maybe it's got you trapped in, in bad relationships. Maybe it's got you trapped in, in bad financial situation, whatever it may be. But it's just because you're not willing to fight for, for what God's already won. Like he's already done it. And we just got to learn to stop shying away and to lean in and, and to, take, to take the victory. I want to share with you this last passage. It's out of John um, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Fourth book of our New Testament. It's another gospel, which is an eyewitness account of Jesus's life. By eyewitness, we mean this is historical. 
You know, and I think it's so important just to remember that, that the Bible is not fables and fairy tales. It wasn't written by Walt Disney. Like, this is real. And the things that we can draw from it are real. And so here's a real account of a historical moment, historical situation. And John here is um, recording towards the end of Jesus' ministry, before crucifixion, before um, resurrection, right? So Jesus is like winding down his three years, and he's having a conversation with his disciples. And he's been talking about the events that are to come, the ones that they don't know about, with this, the fact that Jesus is going to be arrested. Uh, they're going to be scattered. He's going to be crucified, right? They're going to be scattered some more, but then he's going to be resurrected. And he's wanting them to, to be able to, to have joy in this moment, to be encouraged and, and not to fall victim to the trap because there's going to be a fight and they're going to see that, which is so symbolic of life. Like something bad's going to happen. And Jesus is saying, hey, 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 it's going to suck just a little while. Like the other side, like it, the victory's there. It's, it's already done. You're not going to see it, but I do. And I want you to know, I want you to know ahead of time. And, and so here we have in John 16, 31, it said, Jesus asked, do you finally believe? Because he'd been laying this out. Do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. So again, here we have Jesus. He's laying it out. He's like, do you believe me? This is happening. You're going to be scattered. And he's talking about his crucifixion and, and resurrection. And then he goes in 33. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. Say take heart. But take heart because I've overcome the world. That this is Jesus' word, this is Jesus' promise, and when we're facing a troubled heart in a difficult situation, the thing that we get to take heart in is not the fact that it will be great, because some of it's going to be bad. Some of it's going to be difficult. You may walk out of here tonight and face something that's beyond, beyond horrible that, that I, I may never experience. And he's saying here, he's like, you'll face many trials and sorrows. But the thing to be encouraged by is the fact that he's already overcome them. That, that we just need to recognize that, that Jesus, he, he didn't come for the good people. He came for you. So this, this is for you. That, that beyond that, that our weakness brings about his power, right? We begin to recognize these things and lean into him. And when we do that, we can learn to love a good fight because we're going to face the conflict anyways, but we can take heart because he's overcome it. But we've got to recognize and walk in it. And, and your heart may be troubled today as you come into this, this situation, right? And, and the holiday season is coming. And I'm not going to say that you're going to have all the money you need. You're going to get the best Christmas presents for your kids. And, and you're going to have just a stellar Thanksgiving. I'm not selling that. What I'm selling is that if you lean into Jesus, he'll, he'll bring about comfort. Nobody may show up in your family to eat with you. Yeah, I don't know what that thing's doing over there. <laughs> but... No matter what's going on, no matter what you're facing in life, that it may be a trial. It, it may be difficult. You, your heart may be troubled. But, but if you lean into him and recognize what he's already done, he'll, he'll bring about peace. He'll bring about restoration. He'll, he'll comfort you in the, in the middle of it. And, and things may not be the way that you would have them to be. They'll be so much better than they would be without him. That, that, that his promise is, is to journey with us. And again, I love that last part, but take heart because I've overcome the world. 
I've overcome the, the depression, the anxiety, the anger. That that Jesus can help us with. He, he may not add to your checking account tonight or tomorrow, but he can give us peace that's beyond understanding. And he can redeem us, right? We get to look forward to his promise and, and the things that, that we know to be true and what we get to look forward to. And, and, and we can take heart that, that Jesus has, has already won it. And we can learn to love a good fight. To recap tonight, point number one is this. Jesus didn't come for good people. I praise God for that every day. I mean, I was such a piece of crap. And at times, I still am. And if Jesus came for good people, I wouldn't have been on that list. That there was nothing I could have done to have been good enough for him. I wasn't even good enough for society. But just recognize, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, Jesus didn't come for good people. Point number two, our weakness brings about his power. You don't need to be strong enough. You don't need to have it all together. You just need to humble yourself, surrender, allow him to work through you and to use you. It's incredible to me, even in this moment, the thing that, that Jesus probably uses the most in my life is my, my lack of education, my sometimes borderline foul mouth. Um, I can hardly pronounce words sometimes, and people are like, I like to show up because you sound like a real person. I, <laughs> it's just amazing. And those are things that I looked at and said, I can't preach or lead people. I, I, didn't, I didn't complete school. Uh, I sound like a hick. Uh, you know, all of those things. But surrendered, Jesus, our weakness brings about his power. And number three, learn to love a good fight. Man, learn to love that conflict. And here's the thing. When you learn to love a good fight, you get to experience a great victory. I mean, when you pull back, when you're unwilling to step up and face it, you always lose. You're always on the losing side. Victory, it's good. It tastes good. It feels good. I like to win. But, but you've got to step into a place where you're willing to, to fight for what he's promised you, where you're willing to fight for what the enemy's trying to take from you and, and learn to love it and know it and, and take heart because Jesus has already overcome it. And like, if it's within his will, if it lines up with his word, it's yours. It's yours. You get to experience it. And so everything we talked about tonight, defeating a troubled heart, entering his gates with praise and thanksgiving, it, it starts. It starts with, with a relationship with Jesus. That is, that's the first step. But I, I want you to know that beyond that, it's the single greatest decision that you could ever make. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I've got a, a laundry list of regrets. The one thing that I'll never regret is surrendering my life to Jesus, allowing him to take control, allowing him to lead me, not my co-pilot, my leader. And so if you're in here tonight, and you've never made that decision, you've never surrendered to him, here in just a moment, we're gonna have our chip prayers and huggers up front, and, and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can have a, a real, genuine relationship with Jesus, so, so that you can walk out of here redeemed, so you can walk out of here forgiven. And so if that's you tonight, 
we want to encourage you to step out of your seat and just go to him and say, God, I'm ready. I recognize that you're the son of God. I, I need your forgiveness. I realize I can't save myself. I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you, you sacrificed your, your life for me and that you were resurrected. And, and I want you to be Lord. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, again, to step out of your seat, come down, and make that decision tonight. Number two, maybe you've done that. Maybe you've gotten off track. It's never too late to come home. It's never too late to come home. And so if you're ready to come back, if you're ready to say, can I get a second chance? Can I get a 10th chance? Whatever it is, come down, step out of your seat, make that decision tonight. And then maybe, maybe you just need to let go of something. But through the message, through tonight, God's just been dinging. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a decision of some kind, but there's something you need to let go of. We've got our white chips down here in there's nothing special about them. It's a piece of plastic, but there's something special about that act of faith, right? When we step out in front of everybody and say, God, I'm going to surrender to you tonight in this moment. And so if God's laid something on your heart and it's time to let go of it, I want to encourage you to come down and get a white chip. And then lastly, maybe you just need prayer. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. We want to journey with you. This is a house of prayer. We want to, we want to be a part of your life in such a significant way. We would love the opportunity for that. And so for any of those things, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to get a white chip, or just to get prayer tonight, we want to encourage you, again, to come down front and join us. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.